Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. We're back. It feels like it's been forever, but we're very excited to get into things. Starting off this week by talking about the results from the Pokemon World Championships, where one of the uh, the two of us seemed to do pretty well at the tournament. I'll let you guys guess which one of the two of us that was. Uh, we'll, of course, have Yes, That Flavor Text, everyone's favorite segment of the podcast. We'll be going over a few new reveals that came out at the World Championships, including a ton of new cards, a brand new mechanic, and a returning old school mechanic, a game mechanic, that is. And then we'll wrap up this week's episode by talking about Obsidian Flames, the impact it's having on the current meta, and maybe a little bit of an early sneak peek as to what we think may happen at the first regionals in Pittsburgh, because it's right around the corner as we get pretty much no time. To rest and then of course after all that is said and done we're going to get over to the patreon and get into our bonus episode for the week my name is chipper g joined here as always by my friend and co-host and world championship top four finisher azul gg azul round of applause congratulations <laughs> great finish how are you doing man i'm doing pretty good chip yeah i just got back uh yesterday what is today tuesday yeah i got back yesterday from japan i was there for another week afterwards um yeah we're a little bit behind on everything which kind of sucks it feels pretty bad we've had a pretty good track record up to this point uh we did like miss one episode at the end of last year yeah but uh yeah missed two weeks now which kind of sucks but some unfortunate er complications for the first week and yeah, the second week we just weren't i wasn't back yet and Chip wasn't really back into the groove of things. So it uh, feels good to finally be catching up with everything. And then yeah, I'm going to get back into streaming and all that stuff this week. I was going to start, I was going to stream today, but because we get to move the podcast from yesterday to today, I was just getting back yesterday. I decided to like not stream today and just kind of do laundry, meal prep, all that stuff, uh, get back into the, sw the swing of things, so to say. But yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, top four at Worlds. Um, once I got, I felt pretty relieved once I got into like top eight, but getting top four, there's definitely a big difference between. Oh, yeah. Top eight and top four. It's like a pretty big jump in like uh, overall like prizing and stuff like that. So definitely felt pretty, uh, definitely pretty happy with the top four finish for sure. I was a little bit nervous about my trophy as well because I had to, I wanted to try and. Oh, did it make it, it home in one piece? It's all good. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't opened the box yet, but it, the box is in pretty good shape. So I, I have to check it. So no shot. Uh, yeah. Cause it's too tall for the character. Live on. reveal right now on the podcast. <laughs> See Pikachu's so. little trophies falling off hopefully not i'll probably check it later today just to make sure it survived i think it'll probably be fine the box looks like it didn't really get how is that not the first thing you looked at whenever you got home dude i would be so nervous like oh, hopefully my trophy made it i mean there's not much i can do about it i mean unless like i don't know if like pokemon would replace it if it got damaged on the way back i guess i could ask if it did but yeah the, you could probably could. ask no yeah i'm doing that yeah i just assumed they probably wouldn't but um that's why it's like kind of doesn't it's like concern me too much because like if it is damaged and i could get it replaced then i'd want to solve that as soon as possible right but my current assumption is that they wouldn't replace it so um yeah hopefully it's fine i'll probably take a look at it after the we're done with the podcast uh, how have you been chip you've been you've been back a little bit sooner than i have have you been adjusting post uh yeah. post travel yeah, so the jet lag absolutely kicked my butt on the way back. It wasn't great in Japan. Like, I was waking up in Japan at, like, 4 a.m. almost every day, having to force myself to try to go back to sleep. But, like, since I've been home, I have been, like, 
going to bed at like nine o'clock every single night. Like, and I'm normally like a pretty up at li- like I've, I'm normally up pretty late, like one a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, though I, I I guess like in the weeks leading up to us, I was doing pretty good about like going to bed at like a good normal adult time at like. 11 30 11 something like that but yeah i was going to bed at like nine o'clock every night and then waking up at like 4 a.m 5 a.m back home and i did that for like multiple days i'm kind of more on a normal track now and i think now that we're staying up late recording the podcast i'll be like totally back to normal hopefully in the next couple days um but also i've been like kind of sick the last couple days you can probably hear it in my voice i don't know if it's from japan because i didn't start feeling sick until sunday and i got back from japan on like tuesday night so i don't think it's from japan i also like took a covid test it's not covid i just like stuffed up and yeah have not been feeling good the last like three days to be honest but we're vibing we're making it work and we are here doing the podcast i will say as soon as we are done doing the podcast i'm uploading this thing and i'm going like right to bed (laughs) as soon as possible i'm gonna be I'm going to be so beat, <laughs> but enough of all of those things. Uh, before we get into our first topic, there are a couple of announcements that we wanted to make sure we got out there. Regionals registration is up and running. Pittsburgh has already come and gone. Barcelona come and gone very quick. Only 400 TCG yeah. master spots for, for Barcelona as a major tournament uh, and apparently a massive venue as well. I was seeing people post online that this venue can host like tens of thousands of people, like over 10,000 people. Yeah. And it's that just not like happening. A... 400 people for Masters TCG. What do you think of that? It's like a pretty big oversight. In general, Europe was having that kind of... We, we, we haven't had that problem in a while for North American regionals where it sells out in seconds. Like you have to be there kind of like, well, I guess for NAIC, but like North American regionals, we yeah. haven't had that problem. NAIC was literally every wave was gone in seconds. For um, North American regionals, it has been gone like in less than minutes. an hour, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And then I think for Pittsburgh, it was gone within the first like 10 minutes or so, right? Yeah, it was still gone pretty fast. I think it was 25 minutes, which is still pretty okay. fast, of course. You'd like it to yeah. be around ideally more than a day. But yeah, it went pretty fast. But I feel like 30 minutes is like anyone who is going to you know put forth the time and effort to be there right when registration opens, they'll all get in, right? Like I was still in Japan. I woke up at 7 a.m., I think, 8 a.m. I forget. I think 8 a.m. Woke up at 8 a.m. in Japan registered went back to bed so like i was up five minutes before registration started sitting on my computer ready to go it opened i registered went back to bed so like if you were right there you know at the on the on the minute that uh, registration was happening you got in there pretty consistently but yeah in europe it's like seconds right it's like 10 seconds and then even then it's like kind of a lottery based on when you refresh the page kind of thing because if there's just too many people trying to get in all at once some people just get blocked out right and can't even get to the point where you click the register button or when you click it it just infinitely loads and then you didn't get you weren't one of the people to get in right so yeah europe's had that problem all of last season and this is a special event and the majority of special events only get like 100 people but special events in europe get 500 plus players yeah. Um, consistently and that's actually why european special events if you win specifically a european special event you get your world's invite because they're pretty much recognized as major tournaments compared to the other special events so um yeah that feels like a really big oversight in general from the organizers in europe where it's like obviously their regionals and special events they're pushing for bigger numbers are they as big as north american numbers we don't really know but definitely bigger numbers than what they were getting last season they could definitely push quite a bit past that right so really unfortunate to see the european players kind of getting uh i guess snubbed in that sense as far as 
attendance goes, especially with like the, their first event of the year so far already. Just 400 spots is just like not enough. That feels like a big oversight. Yeah, I was thinking about it too, man. I think it's going to be really hard to qualify for Worlds in Europe this year. I mean, 500 points and they have way less tournaments than we do. So you have way less yeah. opportunities. I think like as a European player, um, you're probably like needing to feel like good about getting your invite. You either need to like have like a really good tournament run right early on in the season, get a top eight or, you know, obviously if you get a win at a regionals or big special event, you get your invite. But um, I mean, I feel like you should try to make a second IC work besides EUIC in order to get your, to get your invite. Um, yeah. Also like cups and challenges are way less. Yeah. There's way less cups and challenges. Like they're just in general in their areas compared to North America for the most part is what I've heard that they have a lot a harder time, you know, getting uh, to as many cups and challenges. Like in North America, there's like, if you just live in like a decent area, there's so many cups and challenges you can go to. Um, and I do think also... it is possible that I think North America, I think are the 12 regionals that have been announced for North America is probably what we're going to get. There might be a couple more to come because um, there are definitely a couple key locations missing like Salt Lake City, uh, the Northeast, uh, and then Milwaukee, there was no Madison. yeah, no Madison. So there's like three locations that are generally have a regional that haven't been announced, which could be from North America. But I wouldn't be surprised if we just stick with the 12 we have. But I think for Europe, it's definitely possible they maybe get some more special events or regionals for sure because yeah, they really don't have that much me that many for how many points they really need for their invites to be honest. Or maybe their points get lowered throughout the season. Who knows? Yeah, I like we said a couple weeks ago. I think we both kind of just want Pokemon to like pick a number and stick to it, you know, like yeah, find a number yeah. that they feel good about and like not lower the bar and like make changes halfway through the season. Cause like when you're making changes halfway through the season, it just muddies everything up for everyone involved. Yeah. It feels really bad. So hopefully they, yeah, hopefully they don't do that, but hopefully it is still reasonable for majority of the people who are really going for their invite to be able to get it. Uh, and, then, and then for Reggie, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, and probably the same thing you were about to say <laughs> that if you're listening to the podcast, the day it comes out, Registration for Peoria Regionals is actually happening tonight. I believe it was yep. 7 p.m. 8 p I believe we should probably double check, but um, yeah, <laughs> I think 8 p.m. I want to get put wrong information out there. Day two events over on Twitter. Make sure you check their tweets and stuff, but it is going to be 7 p.m. Central Time, so 8 p.m. Eastern Time for uh registration for peoria which is probably gonna be a pretty big one I, actually i don't know it's kind of hard to gauge because like peoria is like pretty annoying to get to though. for a lot of the country but for a lot of the country it's very easy to get to right so it's like yeah. people who would normally fly are gonna have a harder time getting to peoria but it's in a central-ish enough location where like anyone who's willing to do like the 10-hour drive they're gonna be able to make it out there yeah, a ton of people are gonna be driving to PR. Yeah, and in the Midwest locations, there's a ton of people who end up driving to them. So I think it'll still be I think it'll I think it'll probably sell out. Yeah, it might not be as quickly as Pittsburgh, but I think it'll be it'll still sell out. I, my guess would be within the first hour. I think well, I'm gonna go ahead and make I guess I'll make a guess. I'm gonna guess that in the it'll sell out in the first hour. Uh registration for PR yeah, well. Yeah, um, I think that's probably and actually, fair. we could have like a one of those situations kind of like where it felt like for the regionals post COVID where things were selling out in like a minute or just like seconds. Sometimes it felt like where like it's like, uh, the times will get shorter and shorter just because of the, the, what is like the word I'm looking for here? Like the fear of not making registration will grow and grow within the community where yeah. everyone will be there. The second registration opens more and more people will do that. And then everyone who's kind of 
unsure if they want to go to that regional or not will also be there the second registration opens to register because they know if they don't do it then they won't have a chance to so like create a what is the word i'm looking for a scare in the community but it's not a scare is it a better word for it but i can't think of it right now it's on my head yeah no i know what you mean (laughs) and then we still don't know the prize pool (laughs) for regionals which you know what i mean today is the 22nd this is coming out on the 23rd the regionals is on the 9th so we're like two weeks away two and a half weeks away from this tournament and we don't know what we're playing for Uh, yeah so i really hope that announcement comes soon i'm super hopeful that the pricing is going to increase because it would just feel so backwards to me if they announce the pricing now like after not announcing it alongside all the other stuff like the the points stayed pretty much the same if they like weren't keeping pricing the same and they're like waiting till now to announce it that's just gonna feel like a slap in the face i think everyone's getting their hopes (laughs) up that uh it's gonna be different so i just i just could not see a reason why if it was gonna be the same it wasn't announced already yeah i think it'll definitely be an increase at this point like the fact that they didn't announce it immediately i think definitely suggests that it's going to be a increase in pricing i think they even said um what that the the, all of the information for this season basically is going to be announced before the first regionals right they said between worlds and the first regionals uh pretty much everything is everything is supposed to be announced right yeah Uh, i'm gonna try to find that post on the pokemon website but yeah, they they said they did make a statement in their like big post where they announced a bunch of the information. They did say like, you know, but after Worlds, a lot more information was going to be released. So yeah, after Worlds, before the first regional of the season. So yeah, so hopefully that doesn't involve like Thursday before the regionals. You know, like hopefully that's you know maybe Monday this this coming week or maybe it's tomorrow. You know, maybe this comes out at like you know, noon or 1 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow, like first thing in the morning, West Coast time. And then we we look silly, you know, for complaining about it because the information came out. But we're <laughs> just, we just don't know because we're in the past right now and that's in the future. And hopefully it's everything major, like the prize pool for, well, they haven't given us prize pool for ICs either, right? So prize, prize no. pool for regionals and ICs, IC dates or and locations. Um, I guess prize pool for worlds as well. Like prize pool for worlds is a little bit less important, I feel like. But ICs, regionals, and then I see dates and locations would be good if we got all that information in this announcement yet that they announced will happen before the first regional. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, that covers all that talk. We can move on to uh, world's results. And I think we'll start off by just kind of talking about, uh, we should start off by talking about, those are both our first times in Japan, right? Yeah. First time in Japan. Um, so how'd you, how'd you like Japan? Japan was awesome. It was very hot. <laughs> the weather, it was probably the worst time of year to go, just temperature-wise. You walked outside and it just felt disgusting. I don't think it was any worse than, like, you know, middle of the summer Florida weather, yeah. to be honest. I think Florida's but still worse, actually. It, it was still pretty bad, regardless. Yeah. Um, also, our hotel was, like, a good 10-minute walk away from the venue. But at least, like, the way you could walk in Japan, there's just all these, like, malls and stuff like that that uh it's like indoor walking for most of the way i don't know i had a great time in japan the food was awesome the culture is so unique compared to you know the rest of the world and 
Um, the people were super friendly, you know, was able to get around pretty easily without speaking any Japanese. I knew how to say arigato gozaimasu, and that is just about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, was still able to maneuver around and get to where I needed to go. The one thing that was kind of a bummer for me is that for me, it was pretty much just a work trip. I got in Wednesday. We had rehearsal Thursday afternoon. So like Thursday morning, I went out. Uh, with a few of the other casters, and we went to like this shopping mall area in Yokohama, walked around a little bit. Um, and then I got to go do a few things Monday afternoon with you. Yeah. And that was like pretty much it. And then like went to the Pokemon Center Tuesday morning at the Skytree. Uh, and that's it, you know. So I didn't, I feel like I missed out on like being a real tourist in Japan. I pretty much only got like, a day ish worth, but it was like a day broken up into like three segments, you know? So, uh, it was definitely, that, that's the one thing is I just wish I would have been there longer, like had more time to be able to be a tourist. And it wasn't as much like, cause like, you know, starting Thursday afternoon when we had rehearsal and then for all day, Friday, all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday, where, you know, we're working. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get to do as much stuff as I would have liked either. I don't think, bro, but you were there for really... a week. Yeah. But, I didn't plan to do. I didn't have like any plans ahead of time for a ton of stuff. We still got out and did some stuff. Uh, we like uh, where my Airbnb was after Worlds. We were right by like this temple, which was pretty cool, and got to kind of you know go to like Akihabara, whatever that place is called, and then, then some other like stuff in Tokyo. You know, went to like Shibuya and what the other ones called. I started like a J. Um, but it would have been cool to like, I saw a lot of pictures of a lot of people like going outside of, you know, the Tokyo yeah. kind of area, which looked pretty cool. Didn't have any opportunity to do any of that. So that's something I definitely would want to do uh, the next time I come to go to Japan um, and probably, you know, get outside of like the the main city areas and go to like more of the, the stuff outside of that. Uh, the food was good, uh, but it definitely made me <laughs> appreciate the diversity and quality of food in America in comparison, because the, the food in Japan by the end of like towards the end of the second week was got pretty repetitive. Like it's not they don't have a ton of variety of like a high quality um, for sure. So the food in Japan definitely got pretty repetitive towards the end. There's not that much diversity in it, to be honest. So definitely that definitely made me appreciate uh, America in that in that terms, for sure. Did you but, go back so. to that Indian place we ate at on Monday afternoon? Because that place was super good. No, I didn't. Yeah, that was your that was your first time having Indian food. Yeah, right? I never had really had Indian food before, <laughs> and I had it for the first time really in Japan, and it was so good. I've like thought about that meal <laughs> since I've come back home. Like, <laughs> it was so good, man. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I didn't get a chance to go back to that place, but yeah, I had a bunch of different like steak places, sushi places, um, chicken katsu stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I tried out a bunch of different foods while I was there. Um, definitely enjoyed most of it. It was all pretty good uh but yeah it was a good time overall definitely want to go back and like i said try and do some more of those things try and get out a little bit more of just kind of the tokyo area and go see some of those those cooler locations for sure um but it was a good time overall definitely enjoyed it yeah it was a little bit high i definitely want to come if i go back i want to come back fall winter springtime one of those where it's like not such yeah. a dragon like can you really walk around and explore without feeling quite as miserable um with the the heat and not kind of longing to get back into the ac do you have a uh, favorite souvenir that you got while you're over there? Did you do? Did you get a lot of like souvenirs and like mementos or whatever to bring back home? Not really. So I guess I'll just go with my trophy on that one. <laughs> That's a pretty good souvenir. Yeah. 
What about you? What'd you pick up? I think my favorite souvenir I got was the Palmy plush that I won at the crane game in Akihabara. Oh, yeah. (laughs) After putting in quite a bit of yen to to get it. Committed. Uh, it got to the point where basically the crane machine got uh, it, it went into payout mode because it had received enough money. It was like, OK, we can give this guy his his little plush. So, oh, wait, did it, it just, really go that get that? far? Yeah, yeah. That's why it like gripped onto it so hard the time I won it finally. Oh, I didn't even realize. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. It wasn't it really machines. wasn't that bad. It was probably like three thousand yen so it was not that bad. Yeah, it yeah. was like like you know 20 something dollars 21 dollars yeah, yeah. something like that so it's not that bad you were definitely committed to <laughs> i came home and gave it, it to samuel too he loves it <laughs> um speaking of the heat i guess we could talk a little bit about the the check-in line which i think is a little, <laughs> a little bit uh notorious uh, post event or during the event um a lot of people were tweeting out pictures of it and stuff so the one thing i will say or i'll start off with this and say i showed up to check in check in was supposed to go from 5 to 8 p.m i showed up to check in at like 7 45 i was done checking in about 8 30 so for me the check-in experience was fine so the line that a lot of people were waiting in for hours like three or four hours i think were some of the longest times i saw people waiting in was created by the people getting in line, if you know what I'm saying. The line didn't need to exist as big as it was. Now, the argument for getting in the line as early as possible is that you want to get to the Pokemon Center and be one of the first people into the Pokemon Center, right? So I think that's like the only reason to have gotten in line early. The, the line itself was like, uh, is like, should not exist to the extent it did, unless you want to make the argument that you're just trying to get to the Pokemon Center. But what's kind of funny about that is when I got to check in finally, the, the Pokemon Center had closed, which was fine because they gave you a, gave everyone who hadn't gotten into the Pokemon Center yet a wristband. And then at any point throughout the rest of the tournament, you could just show up with your wristband and they'd cut your wristband off. Uh, and you could go into the Pokemon Center one, literally whenever you wanted. You didn't have to wait in the line. You could skip all the lines if you're a competitor with a wristband. You just got to go in. You mm-hmm. could bring up to three friends, I think. Um, so my whole experience of check-in and then getting to the Pokemon Center was like fine. I had like no problems um so i think that's like the only thing that kind of sucked and it would have been better if they had just given competitor competitors the wristband to begin with and just been like go to the pokemon center whenever you want throughout the weekend um you could go once and that would have been a better way to solve it because then the check-in line wouldn't need to be so ridiculously long because that's the only reason i can think of why anyone would wait in the check-in line uh at that point obviously you need well, someone to show up for check-in initially yeah. to begin with right but like if everyone waits like, till 7:45, then the line yeah. looks like this at 7:45. You know. Yeah, of course. But like, if if like you go to go to check in at five, and there's like a decent line there, just to be like, all right, I'll come back in a couple hours, right? Like, or if the line's already pretty moved along, you're like, okay, I'll get in line right now, then, right? But I think, yeah, it's like the line was fake. Like the line was created. Like, I don't even know how to explain what I'm trying to say. Basically, I don't know why anyone would go into a line that big once it reached a certain point. Just come back later. Like, I don't understand why people let themselves get into a line and let it grow to that size. So I feel like the line wasn't actually an issue or the amount of time people were waiting in line wasn't really an issue. It was kind of like a fake issue that was created by people getting in line and committing to being in line for three to four hours, which I just, it it kind of hurts my head to think about. Like, just don't go in line, just wait for later. (laughs) At a certain point, you should just come back later, you know? Yeah. I mean, 
everyone's got to check in at some point, right? And there's really no yeah. super great way to get like this many people through the line, right? Because I mean, you've got everyone for all four games, and you've got all the spectators as well. Yeah, you've got parents of younger division players. Like, I mean, it's a lot of people making it through these lines. Um, so I mean, there's really just it, it's pretty much there's always going to be a wait, you know, like yeah, no matter what system they do. Um, I think but, just like. I think the line is like it's. A, I don't even know how to explain what I'm saying, but basically, like once a line got to a certain point, people should have just stop stop getting in line and be like, okay, I'll come yeah. back in like an hour, forty five minutes, right? And I think it still would have gone at about the reasonably the same pace. Like I said, I showed up at seven forty five. I still had to wait a decent amount. You know, I didn't get out until eight thirty, but like, I feel like people didn't need to commit to sitting there for four hours. Just like, just come back later. I don't think it was like, like I said, the only reason that you could theoretically like put forth to be like, well, I want to get in the line sooner so I can get to the Pokemon Center. And, you know, potentially get some of this stuff before it runs out. That's, I guess, reasonable. And like I said, the solution to that, I think Pokemon should have applied the whole time, would just be like, once you check in, you just get a wristband that you can come back to the Pokemon Center anytime you want throughout the the whole tournament weekend. And, you know, yeah, but use does your that wristband. not just equal people like going in immediately after getting their thing anyway? So it's like basically the same thing. Like, yeah, but you could just come back tomorrow morning or the morning after. Like there's there's like yeah, so you at much, least like have said, the option to come back, I guess. Yeah, like I said, I well, I didn't have to compete in day one. So I came back. uh morning of the day one competition i just walked right through went in but for anyone who was competing in day one who didn't make day two they could just go right through on day two right um or even if you you know make it all the way from day one to day two play in day two come back sunday sunday morning boom go through you're all good to go right so like i don't know i think that would have been a good solution it would just be give competitors wristbands that they get to use once throughout the tournament at some point um but it was really long and i it, to and to be honest though if you compare this to like london uh, this was just like not a big problem at London at all. Even at NAIC, I don't think I remember this being a problem at all either. But there's obviously was there was way more people trying to check in at Worlds, and I think either of those events. So well, I think it was probably amplified by the heat, right? Like, yeah, if, of course. If, if if there's a big long line to wait to check in, and you're inside the whole time, people aren't going to love it, obviously. But I don't think you see nearly as many posts as we saw. I think like the heat really amplified the situation beyond what uh you know what you would have thought i guess um or what you would expect just based on like this many people needing to get through uh because it i mean it was gross out you know it's it's really hot it feels terrible and uh it feels i can't imagine having stood outside the longest i was outside while i was in japan was probably for like 20 30 minutes i can't imagine being <laughs> outside for, for like four hours you know that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. That's why I'm saying it's it's almost like the people who complain about having to go to all these tournaments compete for the top 16, uh, the top 16 race. It's like you don't have to compete for the top 16 race to get a day two invite. You don't have to stand out of line outside in the line for three hours in the heat. You can just once the line goes outside the convention center, just be like, OK, I'm going to come back later. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. That's just kind of how I view that. So I think it's like a, a problem that wasn't really a problem until the players created the problem. Like the problem yeah. didn't need to exist. Like it was a self-created problem by people getting into the line for no reason. So, and I will um, say as well, you know, they said check-in was going to be from five to eight. They were done by like eight 45. Right. So I'm saying like, like they weren't far off. Like I said, like I was out, I was at the end of the lot for pretty much almost the end of the line when I came in at seven 45 and I was out by eight 30. So they were pretty close to their, their, their mark. Um, Obviously, could have been a little bit smoother. Uh, what about can. in the venue? We, I know, like, <laughs> leading up to it, you were pretty worried about being in the venue, like, the temperature inside. Uh, I was worried about it, too. 
Uh, luckily, they told us as casters, we did not have to wear suits if we didn't want to. We could wear <laughs> short sleeves and button downs and all that stuff or roll the sleeves up. So that's what I did for day one, day two. Did put the coat on for the finals, you know, spiff it up just a little bit. But uh, I got to say, it was pretty nice and like uh, it, it kind of helped the vibes, I feel like, you know, just casting in like a button down and I don't know. I think Kyle and I had a really good time with it, but um, yeah, for you out in the hall, it felt overall not as bad as I thought it was going to. Like, I think if I did have to wear a suit, I probably would have been fine. It would have been a little bit hotter, but um, how did it feel for you out in the, the play area? It didn't feel too bad. Actually, I honestly, I think NAIC, the NAIC venue was hotter um, than it was at Worlds. It wasn't great playing conditions um, for either, but it was like fine. It wasn't that big of a deal. Um, it was definitely hot in general, not like super hot, but it was definitely warm in there. So yeah, I tried to, I tried to get in and out as soon as possible, you know, just show up, play. And then I was there for a while, of course, cause I did make top eight, but I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible afterwards. Um, I was hoping it was a really, it was a ridiculously long day two. Uh, day one was really, really long as well. Day one was like 12 hours or something more. It was a long day. Yeah. Day two was really, really long as well. 12 hours plus yeah really really long day two as well it was like super long uh and then we had to like wait super long to start top four um because uh, we're waiting for the stream match which was i think it was toward versus was the guard for mirror i guess or whatever mm -hmm. on stream i think is what we were waiting for i don't know we had to wait like after top eight was done we had to wait super long to start top four and even once towards match was done we were still waiting a while so yeah, it took a while to kind of get through everything. And I think that's the only reason that they didn't stream the two both top four matches because I think they usually do that. But they do it at IC, so I assume they want to do it at Worlds, but I think they didn't because we were running so late. No, it was never on the schedule to stream both top fours. Oh, really? Um, yeah. It happens at ICs though, right? Uh, sometimes. It, it happened at Worlds last year. They streamed every single top eight match last year at Worlds, but it was because... So they had a separate uh, day. It was a separate day. Yeah, day. it was yeah. an extra day. Uh, so since we didn't have that, it was never on the schedule to stream both top fours, which I was kind of bummed out about. Interesting. Um, okay. I didn't know that. I just assumed. Yeah. I see it feels like most of the time both top fours get streamed. I wish they would. I just wish Top Cut would be the day after. I just wish they would do Top Cut on Sunday. I understand that they're trying to do all the finals of everything on, you know, in a row on one stream. But I think it would be, I don't know, just be better. I think a higher quality of like, I mean, I think it's well, reasonable but... that we could have a system in the future that's, like, similar to what they did in London, right? Especially, like, now we're going to be having, like, a normal tournament structure for Worlds, most likely, right? Like, nine rounds Swiss day one into six rounds, five or six rounds day two. Um, I mean, yeah. I don't think it's crazy that they would go, like, nine rounds day one, five, six rounds day two, and then all of the top eight games on like saturday and then still save yeah. like like just start the tournament a day earlier like i don't really think i mean they keep pushing the limit with worlds and stuff like that uh the production value we, we haven't even talked about that yet um the production value seems super great for this world's like uh the opening ceremony was so sick were you there for that oh uh, it's part of it yeah i, I didn't stay for like all the it. the japanese like traditional drum line it was super cool yeah um but yeah, they just keep like up in the game. I I feel like we are not super far from a like week long worlds event. Like I I feel like in the next five That's years we'll see like a week long Pokemon convention for worlds, something like that. Yeah, 
I guess we probably wouldn't be playing all the days, but like having some right, stuff right. earlier in the week to kick things off and then build up towards the the competition towards the end of the week. Yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty cool. We could definitely see it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Let's jump into talking about the tournament itself a little bit. Um. We got the metas pulled up. Yeah. So two day tournament. Obviously, day one players needed to go seven or six and two in order to make it to day two. So it was an eight round tournament. You needed to get six wins or five wins and three ties to make it to day two uh, to compete for your chance at world champion title. And players can change decks from day one to day two. And then there's a bunch of players, obviously, as well, that automatically qualified for day two, like Azul. So I think the final number was 77 players made it from day one to day two. And there was a total of 170 players in day two. So just under 100 players auto-qualified for day two. And then 77 moving from day one into day two. Uh, and yeah, we do have the meta for day one and day two. And they were pretty different as well. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess the decks are the same, just kind of like in different orders. And some pretty big jumps in some of these places. Um, and I think what is probably a surprise for a lot of people would be to see Lugia being the number one most played deck day one. I wouldn't have personally predicted this, yeah. <laughs> but the more I've thought about it, I mean, it makes sense, right? If you played Lugia most of the year, you know, you get to the world championships. Why don't you ride with the deck that you played for most of the season, right? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Lugia felt like such a, but I don't even know. Cause even if you look at NAIC, like Lugia was not, I mean, it was on the graphic, I think for, uh, and the, this world graphics also cuts off. Usually there's five decks. It shows, or six decks, right? It doesn't usually yeah. show six decks that so we're losing or missing a deck. I'm not sure what deck number six is, but I don't know. Oh, yeah. oh it was, um, number six was Chien Pao, and number seven was Mew. Okay, yeah. That makes sense. And it was um, like, yeah. they were super close to Arceus Tina. It was like, uh, Arc Tina was 67 players on the deck. It, I don't remember it exactly, but I think... Chien Pao was like 63 and Mew was like 62. It was Mew was okay. like one less than Chien Pao. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lugia, Lugia being the most popular deck definitely surprised me. I did not expect that. So that was definitely a big surprise. I don't know how it did in conversion from day one to day two, um, but obviously it fell off a little bit in day two, but actually not by too much as far as like percentage of the meta goes. Um, but then Guardi was still towards the top, lost Tina being towards the top. There was more like lost box than I thought there would be. And then Arceus. Yeah. Uh, Tina being up there as well wasn't like too big of a surprise, but yeah, really just like Lugia being that popular, and then and then also there being like I expected Lost Tina to be popular, but then there also being that much Lost Box as well as Lost Tina was actually a surprise to me uh, personally for sure. Yeah, making up thirty percent of the meta if you combine those two archetypes, and then Mew V Max jumping from seventh most popular day one all the way up to second most popular in day two, and. uh We'll talk about the tournament results and everything. I mean, obviously, Mew did end up winning the tournament. It's also the deck that you ended up playing for the tournament. Um, you haven't played Mew pretty much at all this season. You played it a little bit last season. But what yeah. um, Why do you think like Mew... Because it, it, obviously, it wasn't just your group that decided Mew was a good play for Day 2 of Worlds. Uh, what do you think led to you know, it being such a popular deck in Day 2 compared to Day 1? Um, well, I think there was a decent amount of it that got through from day one to day two like i think xander mm-hmm. and sam chen uh both stuck with they got through with from day one to day two with Mew, and i think they both played Mew in day two i know xander did for sure um daichi actually played Mew day one but switched it up to lugia in day yep. two 
um i don't know like for for my group specifically it was just doing the best out of everything the fusion me was so we kind of stuck with it um and i guess i got a lot of people other people came to that kind of same conclusion we were in uh we were at worlds and is international competition and generally mew does very well and is a lot more popular at tournaments in asia in general so that i think is part of it as well right just like mm-hmm. there's just going to be like if you just take europe or you just take north america i don't think Mew's going to be as successful or as, as popular or not as popular so therefore not as successful but then when you add all the other regions in um or even just asia specific, specifically i should say i think it definitely just is going to boost use popularity for sure uh, and then even though like uh, a lot of the success for the deck came from you know vance winning i made top eight um there still was uh lee in top eight as well from singapore uh, singapore yeah so uh, but i think the yeah. popularity in general is just boosted for that from because of that just like generally a little bit more popular for deck in in asia in general so um more of their the players from asia played it so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I and the it. people who had done well with it throughout the year played it. Like Dion Lee, who got yeah. top eight, who you played against in yeah. top eight. He was the Singapore national champion. You know, he was one yeah. of the people who won an Asian tournament with <laughs> Mu Max and uh, Nachi as well. The player who won the Japan championships, the like national championships for Japan, won it with Mew, played Mew again in day two of Worlds. So. Uh, you know, these players who did well with it throughout the year in Asia stuck with it for the world championships as well, which is really not something anyone I think should be surprised at. Yeah, and both like both those players had like day two invites as well, right? I would assume yeah, Dion yeah. did, and yeah, so did Nachi. So yeah, they just make it through to day two, and then yeah, if they've been running it, they're running it again. And the way the meta kind of shifted up for it, I think it did actually end up being like pretty good for it. Like the mute, the guardian matchup was fine. Lost Box is kind of sketch, but I don't think Lost Box was like a particularly great play, especially with how popular Lugia actually ended up being. I think that hurt Lost Box a lot. Yeah. And then I think Lost Tina is favorable for Mew, yeah. even if they have the Spirit Tomb. So yeah, even with them having the Spirit Tomb, I still think you're favored as Mew. Yeah, that and was the matchup people... you guys tested the most, right? Was Lost Box or was Lost Tina with Spirit Tomb versus Mew, and you were still coming out favored, right? Yeah. I think the matchup we tested the most was Guard for, but. Um, oh, okay, okay. Second was probably Tina. And yeah, it was, it was coming out overall on top against tina even if they had the spirit tomb but like it was basically seemed uh pretty close to 50 50 but i think still like favored overall for mew uh because tina can be like a pretty clunky deck where mew is like a pretty consistent deck to be like i think i literally attacked turn one every single game i went second at the tournament i don't think i missed a turn one attack i attacked with something turn one every single time that's pretty sick yeah he's definitely uh definitely fairly consistent for sure in that regard as far as that goes so well, let's get into the tournament results, and we've already hinted at it, talked about Mew a little bit. Vance Kelly did end up getting the win with the Mew VMAX, taking down Tord Reklev in the finals, Tord playing Gardevoir. Overall, super exciting finals match. Um, yeah, and it was really close as well. It ended up <clears throat> Vance winning in turns of time due to the yeah. like single elimination rules. Uh, it's hard to know for sure, you know, if that game plays out naturally, like who necessarily comes out on top toward prized like double Ralts in that game, but wasn't able to go for the Mirage step curly in that game because, you know, they were in time, you know, he was pressured to start attacking. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, also, like a really awkward gets bench. the win. Vance did have a few cards different from you guys. Um, 
So yeah, well, I guess why don't we start by just talking about Vance's list? Congratulations, first off, as well to Vance on getting the win. You did get that prediction correct, a North American player winning Worlds. <laughs> I predicted Mew Max would win, so we split that one 50-50. We'll get into our predictions <laughs> more a little bit later. But um, but yeah, there is the world champion winning list. Yeah, so I guess like to talk about like the, the biggest standout card I guess here is like probably Box of Disasters. Because there's Crystal Cave in here as well, which you don't see a whole ton, but that one's pretty straightforward. It's just for kind of the Lost Box matchup to reduce like the outs from Sableye and Greninja for taking knockouts. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but then the box of disaster is kind of cool. Like it's good in the Guardian matchup. You know, if they get the one hit KO, they get knocked out back, which usually just sets you ahead on tempo like every single time. We actually even saw that Tor did play the lost vacuum in his Guardian build. So came prepared for Panic Mask and Box of Disaster, like the cheesy cards, right? Still an out to path as well. Yeah. It's gonna be good I think there. that's more the reason for it. The fact that he like off of an Iono could use Mew to dig for a path yeah bone. i think that's yeah. kind of more the reason but it just kind of also like is naturally good against some of the cheesy stuff painting mask in box of disaster yeah and then i guess the other card that kind of stands out as well is like the oracorio which we hadn't been seeing a ton of lately the ice Q was kind of the other pokemon people were including that's what i played as well over the oracorio the oracorio is pretty good against gardvor because then they can't go turn two candy guardy ko a two prizer uh, and then also it's like decent in mirror as well because it forces the extra modifier out from your opponent to get the one to get on the Mew V Max. So it has some decent uses in both those scenarios. Um, and I think we saw that's what Xander and Sam played as well. They were both playing the Oracorio yeah. uh, as well. I really like the Ice Q though. I don't know. You could play all three, I guess, but that probably gets a little bit too clunky. Um, but I use the Ice Q a lot. I did play against a lot of Spear Tombs in my run. I think I played against four Spear Tombs total. So uh, I was using the ice cube a lot <laughs> yeah. throughout my run. And that's definitely something we found we were doing a lot in testing as well up against Lost Tina was using ice cube to snipe Spirit Tomb. So um, I think the Aurocario definitely has its its value for sure. So it's not like one is definitely uh, always better than the other. There definitely is value out of both. But we're moving forward to a new meta, so who knows how good Mew even is. Right. Um, maybe you should be picking. Got... You want to be picking between them. Yeah, we've got uh, Tord's Guardy list, which had some pretty unique cards. We hinted at a couple of them already. Kind of the big standout one, I think, is the Mirage Step Curlia. This is a card that people played early on in their Gardevoir lists, but as the meta kind of moved on, people real kind of came to the conclusion that just, like, having the heavy refinement was overall better. But Tord decided that Mirage Step would be good for this tournament, and... Yeah, I mean, I watched a lot of his games, and it was not uncommon to see him just go turn two Mirage Step, have a Ralts in play, and then, like, on the next turn, he's got all these Curlias, he's got Rare Candy into a Gardevoir, and he still keeps that extra draw power in play, which is super strong. Yeah, so let's see, like, set up, like, a more powerful board state, I guess, at the expense of not getting, like, a knockout or any kind of pressure for the turn two candy play. Yeah. Um, and I think it's specifically really good against Mew, uh, or just kind of decks with Lost City in general. Then you just open up more outs to draw power. And then, like you said, yeah, your Curlias can stay in play as Curlias, and then you can candy your extra Ralts into Gardvors, which keeps your Curlias around, which keeps your draw power in play, um, and overall gives you, like, more options as the game kind of progresses. So, uh, yeah, I think the, the Mirage shape is pretty cool. I don't know if it's, like, the best way to play it, but it also lets you recover from really slow starts as well, right? Like, sure. if you open just, like, a one Ralts or two Ralts, it's not just kind of like, uh... You kind of like slowly sit there while your opponent like bosses your curlias and ralts over and over again. You kind of slowly bleed out and never being able to set up a really strong board. 
Um, it does put you like a turn behind, like I said, you're not going to get the candy guard war, but if you're, it's really hard to get candy guard war off anyways, or how much is that actually going to matter if you only have one Ralts out to begin with? So if you just make that one Ralts into a Mirage step Curly, then maybe bench another Ralts. Now all of a sudden you get like two or three Curlys on the board with Mirage step. You have a Ralts on the board as well. And you'll be able to kind of set up a little bit better on your following turns from there. So it's like a good safety net, I feel like, for slow starts. Um, and then specifically, you can kind of play around, uh, play your board set around using it, especially if you're up against like some kind of like Lost City deck. That way you have more outs into your guard boards while keeping your draw power around, your draw power around as like a game progresses. So, And they got the double reversal in there as well. Yeah. To get those big, strong, big, strong hits with the Brainwave uh guard war so yeah pretty unique list i guess i would say from tour as far as guard war goes right like i don't think we saw anyone kind of running anything like this also had the luminian in the forest seal stone um so the consistency from luminian with the ultra ball combo and got the Forest seal stone in there to combo with the, the zation or luminian depending on what you haven't played at the moment so uh definitely a build that is like okay with going behind with the double reversal energy um yeah i would say definitely like a unique build overall right i don't think we've seen anything like this quite yet no, yeah, definitely a, a pretty unique one. I mean, he also had a few omissions from cards that he's normally played in this deck. Like, when he's been playing Luminion, he normally has some of these, like, tech supporters, like the Worker in the deck. He doesn't have Worker, maybe in lieu of that Lost yeah. Vacuum. Uh, one less Stadium than maybe you're used to seeing, just one Artisan, one Collapsed. Um, and, yeah, has that Forest like Seal Stone. He played Sky Seal Stone initially, but that people got off the Sky Seal Stone pretty quickly after EUIC. Um, I was actually surprised to see no Temple of Sinnoh in there with how popular Lugia was because I feel like that's really the card that sets you yeah. ahead against Lugia. I feel it's not too hard for Lugia to get ahead and kind of stay ahead if they play, you know, two to three one prize Pokemon. Like they set up the first Lugia V Star. If they get two prize cards off it and just go into one prize just for the rest of the game, you can't really ever recover in the prize trade. And your way to come back into it is like Iono plus Temple. So with how popular Lugia was day one, I was surprised to see Tord not rocking the. Rocking the Sinnoh, but it's like it didn't matter in the end. And then we got a familiar face, a familiar name up here in the top four. Azul GG. Congratulations once again, buddy, on getting top four here at Worlds. Definitely, I would say. I mean, I don't know. How does this rank for you? I mean, you've won two ICs, you got top four at Worlds. Obviously, the wins are pretty big, but you know, Worlds is kind of the one everyone remembers, right? Where where does this rank for you as far as your accomplishments in the game? um i mean i guess it's probably number one right top four worlds if it was just a top eight maybe i wouldn't put it up there but i got the top four so i felt pretty good yeah so i'd probably rank it as my my number one accomplishment for sure with the mu v max we already talked about your list a bit yeah. um you want to give us any highlights from your tournament run you played what eight rounds of swiss and then into top eight top four you want to give us any highlights of things that happened throughout your run um i'm trying to think about like what happened in my run i mean i you were on couple... stream in round three against sagen yeah round three <laughs> against sagen cool. was was uh i i kind of knew we'd probably be on stream as soon as like i saw us up against sagen like, all right i'm probably gonna be on stream <laughs> yeah. i didn't think sagen had been on stream up to that point so i was like all right me and sagen are probably gonna on stream we went on stream uh yeah game one was was uh not super close like the matchup is definitely favored for me overall um and i kind of got everything i needed game one and just kind of chained got ahead stayed ahead pretty easy to do when sagen doesn't play the path of the peak uh and then game two was funny i had like a sleeve issue at the beginning of game two because my deck got caught on the little tape that's on the table to kind of designate where you're supposed to put your stuff so that way the stream can see everything on your board um and i like my deck got caught on the bottom of it and i was, I was like i realized that i when i tried to pull my deck off it and it got it snagged on it 
and I marked my bottom sleeves. I was like, hey, I marked my sleeve. It took forever to get our sleeve, uh, my sleeve <laughs> done because I thought I had brought a sleeve with me, uh, my extra sleeves with me, but I apparently had forgot them in the hotel. And then Ripping the first the two steak. times they, yeah, the first two times they brought me an extra sleeve, the first time they brought me a blue Ultra Pro, and I was like, well, the next purple. Uh, oh, my sleeves are purple, so I need a purple sleeve out of my bag. And then they brought me a purple Ultra Pro, which is not a purple Dragon Shield. So I was like, well, what about getting the purple <laughs> Dragon Shield from my bag? And they brought me my bag, and I didn't actually have my purple Dragon Shields with me. So I had to re-sleeve my whole deck, and then I effectively donked Sajin in game two, which was like pretty funny. Yep. Even backstage when I was re-sleeving, I was like, this would be unfortunate if we do this whole 20-minute break just for me to go out there and donk him in game two. <laughs> Yeah, really appreciate all that, by the way, yeah. as the person who was casting that round, uh, <laughs> having to fill 20 minutes of a sleeve issue was, you know, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. might have been better, though, because then we didn't if we had gone through like a, a long game two and three, then we wouldn't have held up the tournament by 20 minutes. So maybe it was the better of yeah. the uh, the outcomes there, to be honest. But uh, I think the highlight, honestly, like the, 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 the moment I remember most is when I was six and one um, and there was a possibility that there was going to be three six and ones um so the moment where the the moment i remember most is when raz tied the round instead of winning uh and then that guaranteed i would play against tord and then me and tord id'd to both guarantee us both in the cut so that's yeah. the guess the moment that stands out to me the most was <laughs> hoping raz would tie their round <laughs> so i could uh id with tord and <laughs> in round eight yeah, and it gets you into top eight you get the win in top eight over Dion lee and you do lose in top four to Vance. It was a crazy game. I really do wish that one had been streamed. Yeah. Um, you went second game three. It was a three game set. You went second game three and got the turn one attack and usually and got a turn one knockout on a two prize Pokemon. And usually if you do that as the Mew VMAX player in the mirror match, you're just like set to win, right? Eh, it's pretty tough still. It depend. There's like a lot of things that can go wrong still. Because um, there's like the comeback of the Iono path now, which wasn't really there before. Um, I don't know, man. I think you're pretty favored if you just go second and get the turn one Melodious Echo. I mean, that's pretty good to me for two prizes. It's a good uh, start. Then you just have to take two knockouts, right? But uh, you got pretty unlucky. I was sitting there watching it the whole time. There was a pretty decent crowd of people watching as well. But I remember, and I'm sure you do too, this turn where you like, uh, it was turn two of the game. All you needed to do was boss's orders KO a Genesect. Genesect. To like my... keep up with the prize race, right? Because you know mm -hmm. he responded, KO'd your Meloetta, I think. I don't remember exactly yeah. what he KO'd. I think it was Meloetta. Um, yeah, Meloetta. And all all you needed was off of a Genesect for six, and then a Genesect for three. You committed to the boss play before your Genesect because it's so high odds yeah. that you were going to draw the one damage modifier. You had two choice belts and four power tablets in the deck. You drew nine cards effectively, <laughs> and I think flipped the tails on a Cremomatic in there as well. Yeah. I think so. That led to you missing the KO. Uh, yeah. Which was like, the, I mean, in that moment, the, did it just feel deflating? Or did you uh, feel a like little you could bit. still get back in? Well, I knew there was still a chance I could still win at that point. It definitely felt like I was, it was kind of out of reach at that point when I whiffed the modifier. Yeah. Um, but I still wasn't, based on what was left in my deck, I actually still wasn't in that good of a spot to, because I had to burn so many of my, my stadium bump cards, and I had to burn my Forest Seal Stone, yeah. which was kind of like the problem in all the games. Like, I had to use Forest Seal Stone, like, almost instantly in every single game, and I think the first two games, I don't even remember Vance using their Forest Seal Stone. I don't think, I don't think he even did, used yeah. it, yeah. And then game three, he used it at the end of the game to win the game, so... Um, 
So I had to burn my four seal stone at some point in there. And then I had to um and then I whiffed the modifier. And at that point it was like I was I only had like one out to path left. So even if I had gotten the knockout there, if I got Ionode, I was still in a pretty tough spot, to be honest. So I had to I drew into so many of my vacuums in Lost City so early. And yeah. I had to like use some of them to be able to continue to draw cards with Genesect so I could actually keep up the trade. That it definitely um I, even if I had gotten the knockout on that Genesect, it was still gonna be pretty close from there because I was down so many path outs. So you whiffed that knockout, but then the next turn you were able to take a knockout on a Mu Max by finding all four of your power tablets. Yep. Um, <laughs> so you guys were at like, he had took two prizes that turn, I think, right? Then so he was at three prizes. You took this three prize KO. So you go down to two prizes. And then also like on this turn, this is turn three of the game, by the way. You guys are both like yeah. absolutely flying through your decks. Uh, you play all four power tablets plus Iono and Path, right? To yep. uh, put him down to just three cards plus his draw for turn or whatever, and you knock out his VMAX. And so he has effectively one turn because you only have one prize left. You know, you can KO anything to win the game. He has one turn to try to win the game pretty much, knock out your Mew VMAX, or, you know, reverse Uno card you and Iono path you. But yeah, uh, he gets all four power tablets in response to your four power tablets. Super wild game. Three <laughs> turns for both players. And the game ends. I mean, that's just kind of what can happen with the Mew Mirror match, right? Yeah, yeah. That's basically the Mew Mirror for sure. I feel like it's the <laughs> that's how it goes like every single time. Um, but yeah, yeah. The games kind of went out like it wasn't anything too extreme. Um, the Orcorio, like like I said, the Orcorio did end up mattering in that second game. Yeah, because I wasn't able to get that modifier for the KO. But like, yeah, it was kind of it's just kind of unfortunate. Like within all my modifiers at that point, it's just unfortunate no matter what. So. It's like, yeah, I'm not too, not too uh, mad or anything about the game. I think I played pretty well overall. There's probably a couple of different things I could have done in there, of course, always. But um, it is what it is at the end of the day. Uh, it was cool to see Vance win for sure, though. Uh, see North America or America get the get the dub in the end. Yep. So congrats to Vance on the win. Um, and we talked about so there was three Mu V Max in top eight. Yep. You, Vance, and then Dion, who you played in top eight. Mm -hmm. And then we've also got a couple of lost Tina in here, including Michael Pramowat, who uh, got top four alongside you. He did lose to Tord on stream, uh, but got top four with the lost Tina. Two, I didn't even know there was two lost Tina in top eight. <laughs> Bro, you were in top eight of this tournament. Yeah. Who did Pang lose to? Tord? No. No, Pang oh. lost to Vance. 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 Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even honestly. I did not know there was two. <laughs> oh, and and Pang played the the Temple of Sinnoh, so you can go like no, no. Yeah, you can go the Spirit Tomb Temple of Sinnoh combo plus Iona or Roxanne, mm. which is a little bit more effective in the late game than the path play because uh wait, am I like tripping? No, no, no that doesn't make sense because it shuts off the fusion energy, right? Yeah, if you go Spirit Tomb plus Temple, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Or Roxanne. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, I able to still win that one. I did not realize there were two. I'm not gonna lie, I did not. I also just figured out the other day that I just like I knew it in the moment when I was playing yesterday or the day before. I didn't remember that there was two Guard War in top eight either. But <laughs> yeah, Tord played the Guardian Mirror in top eight. Yeah, that's why we were waiting so long for top four to start because they're waiting on the the, the stream match. And then we got Soichi Saito with a Lost Box list. Mm -hmm. As well, the Kyogre getting it into 
top eight of worlds a deck you played for most of the season <laughs> yeah uh, but you were not the one playing it here at the worlds pretty interesting list here as well with the pidgeot v and dragonite as like the only two v pokemon no drapion and no um or i guess you don't see drapion as much in the kyogre builds but Raikou. no uh no raiko is the kind of big thing here which I don't know with Lost Box or sorry with Lugia being as popular as it was day one, I would have probably wanted to keep uh, Raiko in the deck, right? Also, the Kyogre, so you still have a pretty solid out in that scenario, I guess, um, in the matchup. And maybe tried to make the prediction that like Lugia wouldn't be quite as uh, popular in day two, and it wasn't. Well, it was pretty close though, right? It's only two percent different, I guess. It was on yeah, fifteen to thirteen, um, but maybe not as quite as successful. And I think actually with the double rocks and you still have like a decent shot. You, you have a decent shot. The matchup is tough no matter what to mouse. With Kyogre, without Kyogre, Lugia is definitely tough for Lost Box to beat. It's definitely a tough one. Um, so I don't hate the uh, idea of no Raikou. And then to put the Pidgeot in there, so you still get the power of the four seal stone without having the constant liability of a V Pokemon in play when it's mm -hmm. not as uh, good for you. And then I like the double rocks and too. I like this list as well, in general a lot, to be honest. Uh, no Pokestop, in. though, has two Artisan. And no Pokestop. So still have some Stadium Bumps. Just increase consistency to find basically one through the Artisans instead. Um, and then kind of use the Rock Sands towards the late game as your kind of final way to push through to get off the Kyogre play. So I actually do kind of like the list overall, to be honest. Uh, the Rock Sands, the Double Rock Sands specific guys, I'm a pretty big fan of. I think it's pretty cool, actually. Um, I don't know how Lost Box in general is going to shape up. We're going to that new format, of course. But mm -hmm. I do like the list. Uh, for worlds at least yeah so now oh go ahead i was gonna say so something. yeah i mean i was just gonna say moving on like looking at top eight you know pretty narrow three mew two tina two guardy one lost box right kind of what we would expect yeah but if you like kind of blow it out and look at the big picture of like top 32 worlds there's a pretty decent amount of variety we've got backscalibur we've got <clears throat> uh urshifu intellion we've got lugias that did well and cyrus's deck with the just like a palkia chimpow deck and then also a couple of Maridon, Andrew Mahone and Sage and Park both getting top 32 with Maridon. So, yeah, really kind of a uh, a diverse world's meta, I feel like, when we look at the top 32 here. Yeah, I think I guess you could say that. Yeah. And like Cyrus, uh, the Pokédex, I think, is actually pretty strong. Uh, probably not a deck that a ton, whole time people were looking at. Like Cyrus bubbled out of top eight. He's yeah. the only other person with the same points uh, as two other players in top eight. So they bubbled out. Um, and then Shemansky lost the win in into Pram, so there was almost an Urshifu deck in the top yep. eight as well. And and I generally think Sajin, that's a... If Sajin beat Cyrus, Sajin's resistance was better than Cyrus's, so Sajin would have been in top eight. Oh, really? I didn't even know Maradon. that. Yeah, yeah. Mm, okay, so it was close as well. Uh, I have to. I have a feeling that... I, I would assume that's probably favorable for Sajin as well. Yeah. For Rhydon. I didn't even think of it. Yeah, I didn't know that. I actually didn't know Ultimately, that Ultimately, it's probably there. just like a two-hit KO, or a one-hit KO war, right? Like yeah if cyrus Probably, goes right? first and sajin like whiffs turn two or turn one attack did you just like push a one prizer for a turn pretty easily right yeah but cyrus plays four cross switcher right true true so i guess it's going first is going to be a big deal right yeah. but i guess it's a little bit harder for even if sajin goes first it's harder for sajin to get like the turn two gust yeah or suppo two prizer so i guess yeah. you probably do give the advantage to maybe you do yeah i guess you do give the advantage to cyrus in this matchup actually overall then yeah i take it back I don't know. I mean, it feels probably just like 50-50, to be honest. Like, just big Pokemon smacking each other for one-hit KOs. Like, I guess Cyrus's deck probably needs a little bit more to make everything happen, right? Whereas Sajin's deck, like, yeah. you just get a Generator and a Maridon, you know, you're, doing you're probably something. taking a knockout turn one. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know where like the rest of the, like the Chien Pao and the Lugia up there. I don't know if they were close to if they won into top sixteen or lost to win in into top eight. I'm actually not sure how everyone fell up at the top sure. end. But yeah, there was definitely. I mean, there's a lot of decks. Um, I mean, I personally wouldn't rate some of them quite as like I don't think Lugia or Chien Pao are quite as powerful in the overall meta. Um, even if they were pretty popular, you know, there's definitely some in top thirty two, but. Yeah, overall, I don't think those decks are that powerful overall in the meta. There was a lot. Of, I feel like the Canadians were all, I guess, maybe besides uh, Cyrus. I guess not all. No, Jack Moore was playing a different deck as well. But a lot of the Canadians were on that Chi and Palace with the four Pokestop. A lot of them. I played against um, other names escaping me right now. But in round five, I played against one of the Canadians on the on the Chi and Palace with the they had the four Pokestop due to B barrel thing. Um, yeah. Which was interesting. It did not yeah, run very well for them, but yeah, Kieran played it. Yeah. Like, I guess so, Turbo Chi and Pow. I don't yeah. even know what you call this one. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Only five supporters <laughs> in the deck, which is pretty interesting. No bosses orders. Four yeah. Irida, one Iono, that's it. That's all we need. Yeah, I'm still relying pretty heavily on the, the B-Barrel. They still play the 2-2 B-Barrel there, which I think is what you need. I think it's how you recover as... She and Pow and pretty much every single. This feels very much like a like my opponent doesn't get to play the game type of list, right? Where you're just going for like aggression. Turn yeah. two, Radiant Greninja, Cross Switcher, Canceling Cologne, like yeah, blow up their little guys. Yeah, you're looking for like big plays or even like a uh turn two Chi and Pow K like an Arceus V or something like that. Yeah, to set them yeah. behind. You're definitely looking for those like bigger plays as soon as possible. I just don't know how consistently that can do it. Um Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's probably think good it's... against those things, but like you know, you're probably a little more questionable against like the I mean, lost box, lost box matches, and stuff like that. I mean, it I pretty think. much comes to your like Radiant Greninja play, right? Like if you can yeah. do the Radiant Greninja thing against Gardevoir, you probably beat it a lot of the time, right? Because even then, you can like play the Baxcalibur, uh prize trade, right? You can use Baxcalibur as an attacker in that matchup as well. Yep. against Gardevoir, and then you can use Shimpaz eventually when the when the prize trade is favorable. All right, well, we did make some predictions. We didn't get to do a full Worlds episode, which I'm pretty bummed out about, but we did do that yeah. little mini special and made some predictions. So let's see who you who we think overall did better. So for the top three most played day two decks, you predicted Gardevoir, Lost Tina, and Chien Pao. I predicted Gardevoir, Lost Tina, and Arctina. So we were pretty similar, and pretty much yeah. Gardevoir is the only one we both got right here as far as a top three deck. Lost Tina was right outside, I think, the fourth right. But we were predicting for day two or day one. We're predicting for day, day two, two. Right? Yeah. yeah. We were close. Where was Lost Tina at? Huh? It was Lost fourth. Tina was, oh, it was fourth? Okay. Yeah. Nope, and it, then, was uh... it was fifth. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. And then for highest placing former world champion, I picked Shintaro. You picked Robin. Neither player made day two. Nope. Um, I think Shintaro on... did do better better than Robin, though. Robin played Maridon, and then I don't think was... Uh... Shintaro was hanging around there the last few rounds. I didn't see Robin's name after, like, round six, I think, so... Yeah. But, uh, yeah, neither made day two, and they're not in top 64, but I believe it was Diego... Is actually the highest placing. Yeah, they got like 67 overall. Yeah. We actually like went through it all. The only other, I guess, yeah, those are the only four world champions who were at this Worlds, right? Uh, oh, no, no, Estrada, Estrada as well. Estrada. So there's yeah, five, yeah. five. So yeah. it was Henry, 
and Diego well, were in well. day two. Six. Henry Diego, no, day five. two. Yeah, fuck. Oh no, and five. Andre. So six. Andre. Yeah. Six. Okay, we had a, we had a lot of them. <laughs> we had a lot. We had a lot. Wait, how did Andre do? In, did Andre make day two? No, Andre didn't make day two. Oh, okay. All right, we need to do like a recount. All right, so there was six. There was six. Oh, there were four former world champions in day one, and none of them made day two. But also, you know, you could count Sajin getting 30th, you know, top yeah. 32. He's a former world champion, though it's not in the trading card game. He did win 2014 that been a, Worlds in VGC. That would have been a funny been a really pick cool, for one of us. <laughs> yeah, I would have I would have definitely picked Sajin if I had thought that far about it. Because we didn't specifically say former TCG world champion. We just yeah, said yeah, former yeah. world champion. So if I, I think I just, it's like, implied though, right? You yeah, know. but if I connected the dots, I would have definitely said Sajin, to be honest. But I didn't really think about it that hard. That would have been like the cool pick to pick for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess, yeah, highest placing former world champion, non-TCG or TCG or non-TCG is Sajin. But TCG, I believe, was Diego. For um, what region will win, Azul said NA because he was predicting himself. And you got close. You almost yeah. made it. But <laughs> you were correct as Vance did get the win for North America. And I predicted Japan, and the highest placing Japanese player was top eight. So didn't quite go as well for me there. No, not quite. Still pretty close. Uh, and then one that did pretty well, one that I did actually really poorly on, I guess, overall was the highest placing Lost Tina. Um, this was a little bit more emotional driven pick for me because I want to see <laughs> Lost Tina do terribly. I picked top 32. And Chip picked top eight and Pram nope. with the carry. I picked oh, top pick, Chip four. Chip picked top four, excuse me. And then Pram came through with the carry, made it to the top four with Lost Tina. And there was also one in top eight as well. Um, so Lost Tina did pretty well. I'm still not sold on the deck in that format or next format being actually a good deck overall. But uh, it was good enough to get uh, Chip's prediction right. That's for sure. What deck are people underrating right now? You said Gardevoir and Turbo Lost Box, and I said Lugia. I think we so I don't give know that who one. We really give the edge to here. I mean, Lugia was the most popular deck in day one, but yes. didn't do the best in day two. A couple in top sixteen. Um, we don't know what's conversion right day one either. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then obviously two Gardevoir in top eight. You know, I think we probably give the edge to you, but I mean, on a technicality, because we said what deck are people underrating, and you picked two decks. Like, come on, man. Oh yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely would have put Gardevoir over Turbo Lost Box, but Turbo Lost oh, was like of course, of course. Yeah, course. I would like. I think Guard. It's not like everyone was like respecting it, but like I don't think we were going that extra. I guess Vance was. Vance had the box of disaster, so Vance was going the extra mile for the Gardevoir matchup. I don't think like that. Many it ended up paying off huge far. for him as well because Tord had to attack into it in game one, and it, it literally yeah. won Vance game one. The fact that that extra prize got taken. Pretty good, yeah. Definitely pretty good in that matchup, yeah. And even Tord had the lost vacuum, and it still ended up getting some value. So, yeah, Tord had to research it away. Uh, you could tell he was like agonizing over having to research it away, but it's what he had to do. <laughs> the next one uh, was what low tier deck has the highest chance to make top cut? I said Sablezard, and Pedro did play Sablezard. I don't know why Pedro played Sablezard again, uh, but Pedro <laughs> did do it, and you said Maridon. Um, I think so, we know who wins this one, right? Like, yeah, Maridon did come through. Sajin and Mahone in the top thirty-two. I don't even know if there's a Sablezard in the top sixty-four. To be honest, <laughs> would you have to like check all these individually to actually find out? Well, actually, you know, what we could find out by probably going to statistics cards. cards. Is there a Charizard? Nope, but there is a Wochian nope. EX. Yeah, I did not predict that. <laughs> it was the Wochian on anyone's bingo card. Ochian in top 64 worlds. Pitor. 
getting 38th with the the Wo Chien. Pretty sick. <laughs> Live yeah, Wo so Chien. No Sable's Arts. No Sable's Arts top 64. So we'll give it to neither of them made cut, but Maradon was definitely closer on that one, I, I mean, guess. Come on. Come on. <laughs> what deck will win? Azul picked Gardevoir. I picked Mew. Honestly, like collectively, we did pretty good here, right? Because yeah. I got it right. Mew won and Tor got second with Gardevoir. So, like, you know. Things play out a little differently. Maybe your prediction is correct here, right? So I think yeah, we, we, we did pretty good on that, but obviously, you know, I got it right with the <laughs> dub. And then next year's world's location, Azul predicts Spain. I predicted New York. Neither of us were correct. I was at least in the right country, though. Yeah, you were in the right country. So next see. year's world's is going to be in Hawaii. Well, I picked, you picked a city, I picked a country. That's already off. Yeah, but they they, didn't, they never announce. Uh, they always announce a city that it's in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess they didn't this year, right? That's well, what I'm saying. Hawaii. Like I, no, they said Honolulu. It was like it's going to be in Honolulu. Oh, did they? Okay, yeah. Which yeah. I guess that isn't. Why well, is that a city? It's the whole yeah. island. So I guess it's the capital right? of the island. Oh, is it? I thought Honolulu was the island. It's the city on the island. Yeah, so yeah, me picking Spain, but I don't know anywhere in Spain besides like I couldn't, I can't name anywhere in Spain right now off the top of my head besides Barcelona. That's just because the special event is coming up there. So, uh, well, Madrid is in Spain, right? Yes. All right, so I got two, <laughs> so I want to be able to name a city. So, uh, but yeah, it is in Hawaii, which uh, that'll be pretty cool. I mean, I went to Hawaii last year, I think. Um, it was pretty cool. It's definitely a very beautiful place. Um. Not uh, a location I'm personally overly, overly excited about, but uh, I'll definitely I'll definitely be there. I do already have my world's invite for it, so <laughs> there's no possibility of me having such a bad season that I don't end up with my world's invite. So I guess I I will be there for sure. All right, well let's move on. Before we get to guess that flavor text, we do have to take a second to thank our fantastic sponsor, Dragon Shield. Huge thanks as always to Dragon Shield for being a sponsor of the Uncommon Energy podcast. Dragon Shield makes, of course, some of the best card gaming and tabletop gaming products and accessories on the market, including sleeves, binders, deck boxes, and so much more. Azul, what what sleeves did you go with for the World Championships, the biggest tournament of the year? Which Dragon Shield color did you pick? Uh, well, I want the purple to begin with, and then I had to re-sleeve to forest green. Um, I like that color. At some point. And then uh, Jesper gave me some ivory ones. And Jesper claimed that the European Dragon Shields are better than uh, Dragon Shields anywhere else. They felt the same. <laughs> but that is what I used in Top Cut. So oh, shout gosh. out to Jesper for the the ivory Dragon Shields that got me through Top 8. Not quite through Top 4. Um, uh, but yeah, those are, the ones I, <laughs> those are the ones I ended up using throughout the tournament. I, said, I think I said Blood... I was going to go with the Blood Reds. I did bring some with me, but I ended up using them. Um, so yeah, big shout out as always to Dragon Shield uh, for being a sponsor of the podcast. You can find them at uh, <clears throat> over on their website, dragonshield.com slash webshop slash EU or US, depending on where you're located. And of course, everywhere else, local game stores, big rock, big box retailers, and so on. And with that said, let's go ahead and let's get into that guess that flavor text. It is my turn this week to pick a card for Chip to Guess. 
way this works is one of us picks a card, reads the flavor text, and then it's on the other co-host to try and guess which Pokemon that flavor text belongs to. I closed the window that had the card that I was going to guess or <laughs> give to you, Chip. So why don't you go ahead and explain the rest of Guess That Flavor Text real fast. Yes, of course. So each one of us picks a card, reads the flavor text. The other host has to try to guess the card. You do get three lifelines to work with. You get four points if you don't use any lifelines, and you lose a point for each lifeline you have to use. And the three lifelines are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and read an attack name. And right. Azul, you got the card? You ready to go? <laughs> I got the card. <laughs> All right. This one I think is going to be pretty tough. Um, But here we go. Thought to be one of the first Pokemon to live in harmony with humans, it has a placid disposition. Bro, there's no shot. I've literally given you this flavor text. This it exact actually? flavor text. Yeah. No it's, way. It's Skiddo. <laughs> I'm trying to pick a different one then. <laughs> I don't know, man. That sounds like a four pointer for me. Nope. Hang on. Let me find another Pokemon. A real. I, have you actually given me that one before? Yeah, that exact one. Yeesh. All right, I got a new one. This one might be a little bit less hard. Um, well, the other one wasn't hard at all, so. All right, are, are you ready? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it loves to eat roasted berries, but sometimes it gets too excited and burns them to a crisp. Hmm. All right, well, this is giving big starter, fire starter vibes. Um, obviously, I think and it's a fire type. Could go with Charmander, uh, you know, toasting the berries with its tail. <laughs> I'm not going to use the stage lifeline. I'm going to assume this is a basic. I am going to have you, though, tell me what set the card is from. See if this helps me out. It's from Battle Styles. Oh, so it is not Charmander. Yeah, no, Charmander was in, in Vivid Voltage. Yeah, okay. What? Is there a starter in Battle Styles? A fire type starter. Charmander, no. Cyndaquil, I don't think so. Uh, Torchic, no. There's Blaziken VMAX in Battle Styles, but not Blaziken. Oh, wait, no, Blaziken VMAX is in Chilling Rain. Um, it could be Score Bunny, but I think that was in Chilling Rain, too. I'm really kind of locked in on the Fire Starter Pokemon. I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be. Let me have you read an attack name. Ram. Ram. Uh oh. It's Tepig. Is it Tepig? It is Tepig. Let's go. How'd you lock in so easily on a fire starter? What? It's just that's just sounds like one of their characteristics, you that's know. So ridiculous. <laughs> it's Tepig. Let's get it likes to eat roasted berries it's a fire starter well roast i mean it burns them to a crisp so it's definitely a fire pokemon yeah i don't know how you got to being a starter so quickly though i feel like that's like all right oh that's <laughs> plus two for chip that's really plus six to be honest no dude i read the, when i read the skiddo as well i was like sounds a little familiar but no there's not, i don't think we've ever done this one before yeah you're right. just wrong yeah i was just wrong Jeez. <laughs> all right well got them all to get on that one you still end up with two points <clears throat> which i think keeps you ahead i mean you've been ahead i'm but... pretty sure yeah yeah i'm i'm just ahead for sure you've extended your your lead 
you'll catch up someday, bud. I'm gonna try. Well, there That's were a few reveals at the World Championships. Of course, the closing ceremonies every year, they like to tease something that's like upcoming in the game. And they also mm-hmm. announced the world's location. We already talked about worlds in Hawaii. Uh, but they revealed a ton of Pokemon cards, including a new mechanic. Mechanic, I guess. It's uh, pretty similar to just like Rapid it? Strike, Single Strike, right? But uh, we did get our first look at the Paradox Pokemon with uh these pokemon having a label on them that signifies they are either ancient or future is it a mechanic like what do you call it i've I've seen like stefan post on twitter about this before being like it's not a mechanic which it doesn't seem like it's a mechanic just like a classification is that that what you'd call it it's basically just giving a title or like a yeah a title to some pokemon so they can print a card that says it interacts with those pokemon right so instead of saying you can attach this card to Screamtail or Iron Bundle or Iron Moth or Brute Bonnet or Roaring Moon or Iron Valiant, you can <laughs> attach it to any of the ancient Pokemon, which are future or ancient. It was also so funny seeing all the TCG players' reactions to these Pokemon being basics because they are all basics in the video game. Yeah. But everyone was like, what? It's a basic Iron Moth? A basic Amoongus type thing? Fruit <laughs> Bonnet? A basic Roaring Moon EX? Insane. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they they did kind of tease. <clears throat> excuse me. There will be some other cards to come out here that like work with these things. So like the Brute Bonnet has an ability Toxic Powder. Once during your turn, if this Pokemon has an Ancient Booster Energy Capsule attached... You may make both active Pokemon poisoned. So, you know, some tool card, it sounds like. I imagine one will yeah. be ancient booster energy. One will be future booster energy. Well, uh, the future might not get it. The future might get something else. But definitely, yeah, I mean, we could confirm the ancients have it, right? Well, they're, but it's called booster energy in the video game. Oh. Yeah. There's, is like, there... an item in the video game that is called booster energy. It doesn't signify ancient or past. It's just, like, it is a booster well, but, energy. But now it's, like, signified that... It'll be for the ancients, but maybe not the futures, right? Yeah. It's called an ancient booster energy capsule, but it's not called a future booster energy capsule. No, there will definitely be a few. There will be, there will be two cards. Well, I think there'll be, well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like maybe we'll only get the energy boost capsule for ancients, but the futures will probably get something else as well. And these also aren't all the ancient and future Pokemon, right? There'll definitely be more. Yeah. Right. We don't, it's not all of them. So we'll have like what, two sets, maybe three sets of, of what are they called? Not Paradox Pokemon? Paradox right? the, Pokemon, yeah. Yeah. So we'll have a couple sets of, I was about to call them ancient or future, but they're definitely two different things. So we'll have a set or two of Paradox Pokemon, I think, for sure. And some of these cards do seem pretty good. You know, right off the rip, I think Screamtail is one that stands out. It's got the Roaring Scream attack. It's a basic 90 HP psychic type Pokemon. And it's attack Roaring Scream for a psychic and colorless. It does 20 damage to one of your opponent's Pokemon for each damage counter on this Pokemon. So, I mean, what psychic type deck is pretty good that also damages your own Pokemon when you attach energy (laughs) cards to it? Yeah, definitely in there to give another tool to Gardevoir. That's for sure. Um, I think the most interesting one is probably well. The, I mean, to be honest, I haven't read. This is the first time I've read the brute. To be honest, actually, I hadn't read brute up to this point. I don't know how I didn't read that one, but I've read all the other ones. Um, but probably the Iron Valiant. Um, I think there's going to become. This is going to be like the new way to play Lawson. Is it'll just be Iron Valiant will be your Dragonite or heavy hitter two prize Pokemon, 
and then you have the tachyon bits ability which says when you move it from your bench to the active you get to put two damage counters on one of your opponent's pokemon so goes with kind of the theme of spread damage with sableye you can cut your energy down to just like psychics and waters because the valiant takes psychic psychic colas you're doing 200 damage dragonite usually does 250 for three energy now you can use the iron valiant ex's for 200 but then you get the plus 20 from the ability but you can put that wherever you want and you can have like multiple and kind of switch it back and forth with team to like put a bunch of damage at that and who knows maybe there will be a uh, like a scoop up net for future Pokemon or something and allow you to like chain iron. That would be crazy. Like There's that. no shot that comes out just for future Pokemon. It would just be, it would be maybe if it's an ace Pokemon. spec, which we'll talk about in a minute, but, um, <laughs> and then Roaring Moon also seems really, really good. It has that frenzied, frenzied gouging attack, brutal uh, attack name. Yeah. For dark, dark colors. We still have dark patch. We still have dark Rye X to recover dark patches, knock out your opponent's active Pokemon. That's pretty good. If your opponent's active Pokemon is knocked out in this way, this Pokemon does 200 damage to itself. So you're almost effectively knocking yourself up, but not quite. And obviously yeah. up against like Lost Zone decks, this wouldn't be very good, but you probably have other attackers you could use up against Lost Zone decks, but up against anything really big that you can't quite quite get over with whatever your other attackers are, having a one of Roaring Moon seems pretty good, to be honest. Yeah, this feels like a really good one of in some sort of like Turbo Dark deck. Um, you know, we've seen Darker V-Star pop up a few times over the last few months. I don't know that Roaring Moon necessarily like takes it over the edge by any means, but maybe it does. I mean, just the fact that you get like a clean one hit KO on something to close out the game. Um, Yeah, that seems like a good use for me. And yeah, I like Iron Valiant a lot. I think it's going to be pretty solid. Uh, I do think like using it in Lost Box, it does. If you're like dropping Dragonite for it, like you're losing the utility of Forest Seal Stone, which is so big for the Lost Zone decks. So that's like a pretty big downside, I think, to moving into an EX Pokemon as opposed to a V. Uh, but, you know, who's to say you couldn't play, like, the Pidgeot or Lumineon or something in the deck still? Um, I mean, if we're getting that scoop up net, then sounds pretty good to me. Wait, bro, I don't know this? where that idea has come from. There is no way that they are making a scoop up net for future Pokemon. That's just not. Why happen. not? Why would that? Why, why, like why is that even a thing that you, like, have thought is going to well, happen? Someone, I saw someone else bring it up at some point. I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense for the Iron Valiant. And it makes sense for the Iron Moth, which says once in your turn when this Pokemon moves from your bench to the active spot. Actually, not as much, to be honest. You may move any amount of fire energy from your other Pokemon to this. This this attack just this Pokemon sucks, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah some of these kind of feel like filler, to be honest. Like the Iron Moth and Brute Bonnet don't seem great. The Iron Bundle is like kind of interesting. I don't think it's very good though. It's got the hyper blower ability. Once during your turn, if this Pokemon is on your bench, you may switch out your opponent's active Pokemon to the bench. So it's like a searchable way to push your opponent's active Pokemon from the active spot, which I think could come up at some point, but Manaphy or Fionn used to be good. That did that basically, right? Yeah. But it went to the you didn't lose the Pokemon. It went to the bottom of your deck. Right, right. Yeah, it was a Fione that did the same thing. So, um, I'll have to yeah, see, I mean, wait I... and see what other future and ancient Pokemon we get, and then what. Obviously, we're also, getting some kind of cards that combo specifically with the Paradox Pokemon because the the Bonnet kind of leaks that with the ancient also, Booster Energy Capsule. It's a attack as well, not irrelevant, right? You know. And we've seen attacks like this historically throughout the history of the game be pretty decent at some time. Uh, Refrigerated Stream, 80 damage. The defending Pokemon is an evolution Pokemon. It can't attack during your opponent's next turn. Now that I'm rereading it, it's a lot worse because the effect is on the defending (laughs) Pokemon. It is not on the Iron Bundle, so ignore what I've said. Yeah, probably not great. Very limited use case. But you'd play it more for the ability than anything when you want to like push your opponent's active out of the way and then bring it back up or something. Um, and yeah, then the other thing that they revealed was uh, A specs are coming back. That's basically all they told us, though. They just told us A specs are coming back. That's it. We don't know in what they form. Just Will it just be trainer cards? Big up on the screen. 
yeah i expect it to probably be just trainer cards um actually one thing i was curious about with the ancient and future pokemon how did they used to do is it possible that it's limited to like one ancient of each or something per deck or something but that would be on the card when it no be? it would say it on the card that's what yeah, radiant okay. pokemon say it on the card yeah yeah and so did the other ones the prism book prism stars yeah. right yeah, okay. So we will you'll be able to play four of any of the future Ancient Pokemon you want then probably. Uh but A Specs, I assume the rule for A Specs is gonna maintain the same where you can only play one A spec in your deck. I guess they could change it to one of each A spec, but I don't think they'll probably be doing that. It'll probably still just be one A spec in your deck. And um maybe they'll bring do you think they'll how many, if any, of the old ones do you think they'll bring back? I don't think they'll bring back computer search. Uh, because it's just kind of like blanket too good you know what was it kind of neutrally the best one dude computer search has gotten it's like spiked in price i just looked up on tcg player just to see what's happening over here lightly played the cheapest one's like 55 dollars after shipping 68's the next one and then near mint if you go to near mint the cheapest one uh 61 dollars yeah, I have like I think I have like four computer searches. I've got Let a lot because I have a yeah. lot of old decks that have computer search in them. I think I probably have like eight computer search to be honest. Yeah, if they reprint it, I'll be ready, I guess. But I think it'll <laughs> yeah. be it's going to be hard for them to come up with. I I think we'll probably get some redos, which I think is fine. It's hard to come mm -hmm. up with. There's only so much you can do in the game of Pokemon, right? What's so... a what's a, a spec that's existed that you think uh, would be a good like you would be fine to see it get reprinted. I mean, Scramble Switch and Gold Potion were both always fine. Um, I don't think I you'd think have to change Scoop anything. Scoop Cyclone would be cool. That one would be cool as well. Yeah. So that's another cool one, I think. Scoop Cyclone, Scramble Switch, um, Gold Potion. It's not Dowsing Machine and uh, Computer Search. I would I hate the idea I would of them like bringing those back, but... Do, like, I would like to see the A-Specs be things that are... Uh, more do niche. very specific things, right? Yeah. Not that, that are not just like blanket good cards, right? Yeah, I would Which is what that, happened with Computer Search and Dowsing Machine. Like for pretty much there was no reason to run any A-Spec other than Computer Search or Dowsing Machine unless yeah. you're playing like Genesect or Victini EX, right? Like yeah. uh, I think it's really cool. It, like if they had Scoop of Cyclone, you mentioned Gold Potion, you mentioned Scramble Switch. Like these are all cards that just kind of blanket do, they, they, they do unique things it's not just like a blanket good card that like you would guarantee like basically when you're building a deck when computer search was legal you had a 59 card deck you were constructing because the first card was going to be computer search right yeah yeah that's fair yeah i guess i, I guess i kind of agree with you there maybe it's best if they don't give us something like okay are you okay if they reprint master ball yeah master ball probably isn't good enough to be because it like only does one thing right computer yeah, like search overpower can be anything. Dowsing like machine can be almost anything right yeah yeah, maybe I agree with you on that, to be honest, actually. Maybe they shouldn't bring back the computer or the Asking Machine. But yeah, we'll see what they come up with. Hopefully they come up with some new stuff, and it's not just a bunch of reprints of the old stuff. I think we'll probably get something like a G-Booster or a V-Piece, where it's like one Pokemon specific, which I think is also fine. And it's fine sure. for that kind of stuff to exist as well. So I think we'll get some some something like that, where it gives like a certain Pokemon a new attack. Um, or maybe they'll come out with a couple of them that are attacks that anyone can use. Um, they could have some more like that as well, which I don't think would be terrible to see uh, but yeah definitely i'm i'm always i'm always a big fan of cards that are limited to a one of in your deck so i'm a big fan of like radiance and prisms and a specs of the past so i'm always a big fan of those cards existing in general and we will have radiant pokemon plus a specs at the same time right which we don't too often have both around or where the one of them are or double one of depends on when rotation is going to happen right 
Oh, do radiants rotate with the next rotation? Uh, no, they actually, around no, for, you're right. They don't. Yeah, they're around they for another yeah, whole yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so we'll have like a half a half a season, maybe a little over half a season. With I wonder if rotation is going to happen both. when this set comes out. That's kind of what I'm curious to see. Or will they wait and rotate like in January? Or what, when when I, did they do it last year? Was it January, February? It was yeah, it was February. But I think I think they have usually they would have already announced rotation at this point. So I think we're on track to follow whatever Japan does again which is good i think that's a good thing for them to do so yeah otherwise it, we'd have already known about rotation for sure so i think we're going to rotate um i think it's definitely good for the same... there to be like a global format right that yeah everyone yeah. in the world is playing the same format yeah the formats are the same formats we don't rotate exactly when japan rotates but we'll play the exact same formats they too they do just at a little bit later date but who knows maybe we'll get a little bit i think the next set will be a good tell on how if they're trying to or how close we are to like syncing up with set releases with japan because obsidian flames and rule of the black flame came out really close together they already have 151 we're not getting 151 until next month so we're a little bit off as far as that goes but the next major set release will be a good tell i think on on if they're trying to sync us up or not and how close we are to being synced up and i think azul from there we can move on to some obsidian flames chat so uh, you probably have not had the most time to really get Zero your hands games. on the new set. You just got <laughs> back from Japan yesterday, but I'm sure you've been reading cards. You've been looking at Twitter. You've been looking at tournament results. You kind of know what has been doing well. I mean, it's pretty much one card out of Obsidian Flames. That's like a new potential meta deck, and that's Charizard EX. What is kind of just your opinion on the card? You know, tier one, is it super powerful or is it just kind of like, yeah, is it fine? I think it's a really good card, but I don't think it's tier one, probably, you know, based on the meta. I think a couple of the cards still existing are a little bit too powerful. Um, yeah, a couple of the cards are a little bit too powerful. And overall, like when you compare it to something like a Guardvor EX and all the tools Guardvor has, like Charizard isn't quite on that level either. So uh, tier two, maybe tier three deck, the Charizard EXs. And we've seen a lot of people like abuse Arceus in it to help for the consistency factor. Um, it also gives you a good attacker as well through the Arceus in the early game. But yeah, Charizard, a lot of HP. 330 HP is a lot. You got an ability that accelerates three basic energy into play out of your deck. So you don't need any additional kind of setup, right? You don't need to get yep. the energy in the discard pile or whatever else it might be. They just come out of your deck. As long as they're in the deck, you can get them. And then it has a good attack as well, right? 180 for two fire, pretty efficient. Plus three each prize card your opponent's taken. You're ramping up to big numbers as the game progresses. So I think it's good. The card is definitely good. Is the meta right for it? I think is kind of the question. And from what I've seen, it's been pretty popular in these online tournaments. And it's kind of the only deck from Obsidian Flames that has seemed to make any kind of relevance in these online tournaments. But its success isn't like overly that. Uh, it hasn't had that much success. So I would say, yeah, seems like an okay deck. So like I said, lean a little bit more towards it. Probably being like a tier three deck. And like I said, yeah, most people are running it with like Arceus and a Pidgeot in there, of course, is in most lists as well. It's kind of just like, are you including the Arceus? But I think there might be a little bit more room to experiment with it. And I definitely am excited to get my hands on it finally, probably tomorrow or later today, I should say, when I'm streaming. So probably the first thing I do is play some Charizard. Yeah, I mean, the card is definitely super powerful. I actually spent a pretty good amount of time with Charizard testing and tweaking and like uh, just giving it a shot. Um the first list I had played like Delphox V and Canceling Clone. Like I thought that combo was just really good and you could set it up pretty easily with Pidgeot plus Charizard. In reality, it was just kind of a lot to get rolling, even though it doesn't seem like that much, right? Especially with Pidgeot getting any one card out of your deck. Um, 
but I was losing like pretty consistently to Lost Tina with the deck is kind of the issue I was finding. Uh, I was losing to like Iono slash Roxanne at the very end of the game. So the list I've been playing most recently is playing Charizard. It's Pidgeot, and Bibarel. No Arceus, it is playing <laughs> Bibarel, which I think is probably the best. I, I mean, I played it a, a good bit. I went from like losing pretty consistently to Lost Tina to like beating Lost Tina very consistently consistently which is still the most popular deck uh right now in the format so definitely something you want to make sure you have a good matchup to and you know i guess speaking of the lost tina or gear tina in general that's kind of one of the decks that people have been adding some techs for the charizard um and i i think it yet is yet to be seen like exactly how strong charizard would be i agree with you it kind of does seem like a tier two ish range deck like i think it'll be okay it'll be played at tournaments somewhat but like how worth it is it teching for like a tier two deck and so we've seen people playing things like the shaman v with its like revenge type attack we've seen superior v star making its way into decks Leafeon. Um, yeah, there's Leafeon, been a whole bunch V-Star of yeah. as well as one i've been seeing so i mean if a deck is like of, is it worth like having an answer like this in your deck right now uh maybe like right now because like the new decks will always be popular, more popular than they probably are justified being as the meta develops. But Charizard is the only new deck. So I think it's in the how popular it is is like enhanced because of that, right? Sure. Like Charizard is the only new deck. It's a new deck, which means people want to play new decks, of course, because it's like people like playing Pokemon. Um, it's the same thing with me. Like I like playing Pokemon. So instead of playing Gardevoir again, why wouldn't I want to play like the new cool cards, right? But the only the, the thing with like Obsidian Flames is only one new cool deck to play, which is Charizard. So that kind of enhances its overall popularity. Whereas if there's like three cool new decks from Obsidian Flames, it wouldn't be quite as popular. So if something is popular enough, even if the the deck isn't that good, it's still worth teching for at a certain point, right? So I think maybe currently it is, but I think as Charizard kind of finds its place a little bit more, which probably won't be too high on uh, the tier lists overall, probably best to kind of cut the tech cards as we kind of evolve from there. But like right now, it's probably like okay to play your Superior or your Shaman or whatever it might be, depending on what you're playing. Yeah, I saw someone bring up a pretty good point on Twitter, you know, talking about how popular is Charizard, like, actually going to be with Pittsburgh coming up just around the corner. I mean, if you think back to some of the cards that were kind of written off by a lot of the top-level players, but, you know, are just kind of like the good cards from the set, Maridon, you know, was pretty popular at the regionals right after it came out and remained yeah. popular throughout that whole format. And it's still relatively popular and probably will be even more so after, you know, Mah- I think a lot of people are going to adopt the Mahone list moving forward yeah. um and Max would be a big uh, think one. <laughs> back to yeah kieran v max at peoria last year like a deck that pretty much it, it i think it caught pretty much everyone by complete surprise the fact that that yeah. deck was like on the radar like it was popping up in some online events here and there but nowhere near as popular i think it was like the third most popular deck at peoria regionals or something like that wait kieran v max yeah it was the most Oh, it was the most. I had a decent amount, too. Yeah, it was, like, solidly the most popular deck at Peoria, which is crazy because the deck was bad, but, like, (laughs) (laughs) it was pretty wild. Uh, And then it kind of – it still stayed in, like, the top three, I think, the whole time throughout pretty much the whole format. It was still up there pretty consistently. I think it was the most popular deck in the following regional, and then it started to fall off towards – once we got to Salt Lake City, I think Palkia became the most popular deck again. But, yeah, it was the most popular deck by, like, a solid chunk at Peoria, which was was pretty wild. But it was, like, the – big cool new card it was also as far it was like pretty cheap too because it wasn't overly hyped and then if you wanted to play kind of like a new deck new cards like it wasn't a terrible deck but it wasn't like yeah a, i wonder a if the cost thing. 
of Charizard is going to have an impact on its playability, right? I mean, I think it is still it like might. $30. Pidgeot, Who knows? So Maybe like this will just be. This might just be saving people from playing uh, bad decks. You know, <laughs> like if Charizard's really not that good, maybe the, the cost of Charizard is really just saving people in the end <laughs> from playing a playing a not so good deck. Um, so we do see, based on just like the online tournament results from the past week or so, Lost Tina still up there at the top, a deck that you have not been a big fan of. I'm not the biggest fan of it either. Why do you think it keeps? sitting atop the the most played and uh it does still continue to do decently in tournaments as well um yeah i don't know i mean like, I said, like i've said before i don't think a tina's like tina's just like a couple points away i think from being actually what i would consider a good deck um like the way i whenever i call a deck bad like if you think about like a like a spectrum of decks um on the left side if they're bad on the right side if they're good as soon as they pass like the midway point by just like one point the bad side i just always call decks bad at that point because it's like a deck i would never consider playing at a tournament but if it's just two points over to the good side then all of a sudden i would say yeah it's a pretty good deck it's a pretty solid deck and it's a deck that i would then consider playing at tournaments but as soon as a deck that crosses the threshold of i wouldn't consider playing at a tournament i just like call the deck bad which i think people when people hear me say that they're just like um yeah why would people I think the deck is truly expect awful. that when you say a deck is bad you don't mean it's actually bad yeah, so I don't think it's like truly terrible. It's just like I, I don't know, it's not a good deck, and I don't think it's that good of a deck. And maybe it changes a little bit. Maybe this meta shifts up a little bit more. But if all we're adding is Charizard, I don't see how Lost Tina is that it is that much better of a deck. I mean, two of them did get top eight at World, so um, yeah, I'm still not a big fan of Lost Tina. I think it's a really like fluky deck overall, and it's like you don't really have that much control with it. Um, so yeah, I'm not a big fan. Uh, it is the most popular deck still, but it was kind of that way going into Worlds as well, right? So like. Maybe just not that much has changed. My opinion really hasn't changed that much of it. Maybe, maybe if Charizard is that much, if is that good, and the matchup is that good for Lost Tina, then maybe that would sway my opinion of how good I think Lost Tina is. But Charizard doesn't seem to be like a real meta shifter, or shouldn't be a uh, a deck that the meta sh uh, changes around that heavily. So I don't think that should be a big impact on Tina's success overall. Speaking of worlds and decks that did well at worlds, obviously worlds was won by New Vmax, the deck you played at the World Championships as well. Hasn't really been doing as well. Uh, it's the seventh most played on Play Limitless right now. Um, and I think in big part, you know, people are kind of scared of that Charizard matchup. It does feel like it has a pretty terrible Charizard matchup, right? Yeah, it's going to be pretty tough because, I mean, just 330 HP is a lot of HP. I think maybe Mew would have to go like back to some like path type build because... Yeah, that's um, hard to do in the fusion build, though. Yeah, I think you maybe have to go away from the fusion build. I don't know, but then you're like losing to Spirit Tomb every time. So yeah, Charger matchup. Like Charger has been pretty popular in the online terms. I think it's like been you know in top four most popular. So it's the second um, most popular. Oh, second was well, second most popular overall. I think in most recent tournaments it's dropped down a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean that's tough. Like they can't turn two candy out of Charizard and knock out your active. Like like knock out a Mew or something. Like what do you do? <laughs> like you can want to KO it, um, but you need actually even with Quad Tablet you can't want to KO it. So like. Yeah, <laughs> that's just kind of tough, to be honest. I just don't, I actually don't know how you handle it, to be honest. And then even if you do that, they get another Candy Charizard out or Charmeleon into Charizard. If they play the Charmeleon, then you just lose. So I think the answer is abysmal. obvious, right? And Xander pointed it out on Twitter, right? Oh, the Excelgore? You yeah. got to put the Excelgore in the deck. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, if Charizard's popular enough and that actually swings the matchup, um, you know. The thing to is, your though, favor is like or you just need like close enough. two damage modifiers still for his Selgor. Oh, you do? Jeez. Yeah, yeah. All right, time for Defiance Band or whatever it's called. Get it in yeah. there. The time is now. 
it seems tough from you. If Charizard is popular enough and good enough to actually warrant, you know, being worried about, which I don't, I don't know if it actually is, to be honest. So something we have to wait and see. But I think, you know, from the results I've seen from tournaments, like Charizard is played, but it's like not like doing that well uh, in these online tournaments. It's just being played because it is like the only cool new deck, right? Nothing else is really cool uh, that is new. So I think Charizard is just kind of, that's what's carrying it. So it's probably like, as far as like, if we're looking forward towards Pittsburgh, if you want to play Mew and you have a, you think you have a terrible Charizard matchup from your testing, it's probably fine to just take the loss to Charizard. You probably won't see very many, if any, uh, throughout your rounds anyways. There is one other card from Obsidian Flames, I think probably worth talking about right now. Not the an archetype in and of itself, but it is Pidgeot EX, baby. Plenty of people have been <laughs> playing the Pidgeot. One of my favorite cards from the set. Um... Yeah, I mean, this has been played in most Charizard lists, and it's been making its way into Backscalibur decks as well. Kind of what we predicted, right? The fact that it would be played yeah. in decks that are already playing Rare Candy. Something that I found pretty quickly when I was testing decks with Pidgeot EX, though, was that you have a pretty tough time against Iono and Path to the Peak. Yeah, I could see that. Iono, Path to the Peak... Gonna make things pretty tough when your recovery setup type Pokemon is the Pidgeot. It's gonna make things pretty annoying. Yeah, I don't know if there's really a yeah, maybe maybe B barrel, like specifically for Max Calibur, maybe you do have to kind of go back to the B barrel because of that. You could do both, I guess. That's what I'm doing in Charizard, buddy. Like you kind of have the bench base as well if you don't play the Arceus, right? So Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's like the worst thing ever. I could see you playing both. Both seems fine. Seems reasonable. I think it's harder in Backscalibur because you need a stage to like you need your Backscalibur setup and your attacker, but it's a yeah. little easier in Charizard because your stage two is your attacker, right? Yeah. So it's like you're less bench pressured, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, One thing that's I been cool it. as well with Charizard that I've liked when I've been playing games is like, uh, so for a while I was kind of unsure what Radiant Pokemon to play, Greninja or Charizard. Um, I even tried Radiant Alakazam for a little bit because, like, you two-hit KO a lot of things in the early game, so just, like, save some of that damage. Yeah. Wasn't super good. Uh, Radiant Charizard's super good in the deck because it allows you to uh, have really get back into games when your opponent goes down to just, like, two prizes left. Uh, it's not too infrequent that you get to that position and you have no two-prize Pokemon in play because they just knocked out yeah. your Charizard. So you can just go with a Charizard or the Radiant Charizard, send it up, attack, take a knockout, go down to one or two prizes, whatever it is, and then your opponent has no way to win the game the next turn. Yeah, and even if you did have a Charizard in play, it'd probably be pretty hard for them to win anyways. You have fresh 330 HP Pokemon on your bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you just, like, Iono them that turn, they can't really go after it there, so... It's been yeah. specifically against Lostina, which they, you know, they can knock it out That's if true. they haven't used their V-Star power yet. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess I could see it. I think that's probably one of the Charizard is like probably one of the draws of people still liking Lost Tina a lot because it does feel like it's probably pretty decent against the deck, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe that is the I mean, I don't know. Like not that like I said, not that much change in the meta. So if people thought Lost Tina was the best deck last format, I don't know why they wouldn't think it's the best deck this format, right? Yeah. Like really we didn't have that much switch switch up. Well, all right. Azul, any other closing thoughts thoughts? Anything else you want to say about Obsidian Flames? No, got to get my hands on some of the cards, try some stuff out. Definitely be try checking out the Toad Scroll as well. Let's um, go. And I don't even know how much more there is, to be honest. There's the Vespa Queen, Toad Scroll, Charizard, Pidgeot. Oh, yeah, things. what happened to your Vespa Queen deck, bro? Uh, I mean, I haven't worked on it at all because I haven't been home, but I'll be working on it soon. 
Is there? Did we really get anything else in the set? Was that it? Was that, did I just name everything? EX seems okay. okay. Tyranitar EX. It's got a lot of HP. Does a lot of damage. A lot of kind HP. Of the a lot of damage. Of the stage twos these days. Yeah, and actually, that's actually one thing I wanted to mention. Is like Pidgeot. We'll see a lot more play once we get down to like more stage two meta, right? Maybe even we're maybe even just one rotation. You know, get rid of Battle VIP pass. Maybe that's enough to um, help these stage two decks out a little bit more. Um, we'll see. But I don't know. Lost Lost Zone stuff is still around, so it might still be tough. Like Lost Zone still might be kind of king overall in, in as far as like gatekeeping goes until another rotation, which would kind of suck to have to go through two rotations. At some point, do you think they would ever just be like, all right, maybe we should just like ban a Lost Zone card to just like move things along a little bit? Or they, are they really going to make us sit through two rotations to actually... They really don't like banning cards from standard. It just kind of sucks. I feel like there's so <clears throat> much potential. It's really hard to like... I mean, you can always test out all these stage two decks, right? But if they just always lose the loss zone over and over again, so you're not going to play them at tournaments, right? Or like yeah. even like play them heavily on ladder and stuff. Because I feel like the gatekeeper at this point really is lost box more so than anything. Well, we appreciate everyone listening. As always, if you did enjoy the episode, please be sure to leave a rating, a like, a review. Easiest and fastest way to support the podcast. You can also check us out over on x.com twitter whatever it is follow me at <laughs> i should call it twitter <laughs> yeah yeah it's just it's still twitter you know it was kind of funny I, at worlds we we were showing the social logos and we it said x.com like it had the x logo not twitter <laughs> it just felt wrong dude. we gotta stop uh, giving in maybe we can get twitter back it works so well too because you had twitter you did tweets now what are we doing we're, we're on x where it's just like X-ing. every other social media you know yeah, but I want to tweet, bro. We had retweets, but now it's just a re. It was everything was unique about it, you know what I'm saying? But now it's just not good. Not good. <laughs> you can follow myself at Chip Richie. You can follow Azul at Azul underscore GG, and you can also follow the podcast at Uncommon underscore Energy. Appreciate Thanks the support. For the as a... support. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you're yeah, good. Appreciate that's, the support that's as what always. You normally say so. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm jumping in at your part, man. I'm tired. I'm beat. I'm like totally gassed say, right now. We had a little bit of a low energy podcast. I feel like I'm still adjusting. I just got back yesterday, so kind of still adjusting. I woke up. I was up like I woke up at like 5 a.m. this morning, so I'm getting a little tired. Chip sick and tired. So a little bit of a low energy cast this week around, but I hope you guys enjoyed it nonetheless. And we'll catch you next week back on normal schedule. And hopefully on normal schedule, progressing forwards at 7 a.m. Eastern Tuesday mornings. Next week. Peace. Yep. And we'll see everyone as well in the bonus episode. Everyone on Patreon, at least. <laughs>